We're in a series uh, that we really based from the word rescued, and we're talking about uh, the different aspects. Last week, we were looking at justification. The week before that, uh, Matthew spelled out what our great hero did for us in his cross work. I tried to spell out how bad off we are and the desperate help we needed for our hero. Today, I want us to look at our identity in Jesus Christ, our identity in Jesus Christ. And I will look at three things. How God views your standing in Adam. If he just saw you in Adam, which we all are by our natural birth, uh, what that status would look like and how God describes it. And then we want to look at how God views us with our standing if he sees us in Jesus Christ. And finally, I would like to just lift some verses uh, that tell you some of the things that are true of you that can only be true if you're in Christ and really to realize how rich we are as believers to think of what is true now of us in Jesus Christ. Uh, years ago, uh, <clears throat> Robert McGee wrote a book, The Search for Significant. Uh, it was mainly used in Christian counseling, but uh, we want to bring that up. But it does a great uh, chart in there about how we think and what our belief system is determines how we think. Uh, it will determine how we act, and then it will determine how we feel. So your viewpoint of things, how you view yourself, how you view your world, uh, determines how you think, how you, what you think about yourself. And then out of that, it will lead to probably the way you act and carry out your behavior. And then you'll have following emotions about that. And uh, he gave the illustration that if you only saw yourself, there's two models. He said, if you listen just to the voice of Satan, you would have one readout. And then he gives the rebuttal, God's voice to us. And let's take a look at just the example that Robert McGee gave. Uh, he said, Satan's lie, your worth equals your performance plus others' opinions. Uh, I think most people get that kind of, that's, uh, I'm, I am how I perform, and I am how my peers describe me. And so you take youth, especially, they're so, they're developing their self-image and developing how they view themselves, peer approval, peer uh, impressions, very important. But then the counter is God's answer. Your worth, what God says about you. Now, which one is true? We gave you coffee. There's no excuse. Uh, and without Christ, you only have Satan's view uh, or maybe the view that was shaped in your family system. It's why family system is so important. And uh, you could uh, hush that down, but 
Your parents had a lot to do with how you view yourself. A lot to do, negative or positive. Uh, the home that you grew up in, education, peers, uh, maybe the environment, uh, what kind of neighborhood you grew up in. It goes on there, Satan's lie. Those who fail are unworthy of love and deserve to be blamed and condemned. God's answer is, my son propitiated me or he has satisfied my anger towards you. I'm not mad at you. I, I have a ground in Christ where I'm totally satisfied. All divine expectations in my son have been met on your behalf. If you, you follow, I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. Justification, I got a right standing with God based on faith alone, not on performance, but just faith. Another has won my acceptance. Another has given me my status. Uh, finally, here's a, a worn out one. I am what I am. I can't change. Oh, yes, you can. Because God regenerates people. He saves them. He gives them a new birth. He inscribes his law on the heart. And he begins to put them on the potter's wheel and begins to shape you into the image of his son. And so in that, uh, you talk to people. And, and today, what a day of confusion. Uh, identity. Uh, it's either racial. I'm always talking about my ethnicity. Uh, or we're in a day, uh, I, I'm trying to decide what gender I want to be. I mean, uh, I don't know which bathroom I should go to. Uh, I was born anatomically one way, but in my mind, I really want to be the opposite of what my biological makeup is. So I decided I'm going to that image. I want hormone shots. I want surgeries. I want to become what I picked, not what the potter picked. The clay is telling the potter, I want to be a certain way, and if he doesn't make me that way, I'll make myself that way. So, a lot. Uh, some people's identity is politics, what, what party. Are, you know, I, I get tired of people, when you start traveling over the world, you know what, when I meet someone, I've been in North Africa, been in Europe, been in Asia. You know what, I keep looking for Christian brothers and sisters. You're as weak as it's anemic how poor your amens are. If you're going to do it, do it. If you're not, don't. I can make it without it. The truth is the truth. But it's anemic. Well, I'm an Anglo-Christian. What's Anglo got to do with it? I'm African-American. What does that have? Are you a Christian? How about you saying, I'm in Christ? I don't care if you're male or female. I don't care what country. You, God det determined all that other stuff. Your gender, your neighborhood. I think even your IQ I mean, they're all gifts from God, right? So why do we make a big fuss about the equipment and the way he made us? 
Paul comes in Romans 5, 12, and he's going to carry it primarily through chapter 6. And he's going to say, God has declared right those who put faith in Christ. And over and over, chapter 3 to this 5, we're justified, we're justified. We're right with God. Look at what your standing is if you're in Adam. If you've just been naturally born and you identified with Adam because he and Eve were the beginning of the race. Listen to this. He says this. Therefore, verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man. And all of us men are wondering, why didn't you say Eve? Why didn't you say through one woman? I don't know. God held the man responsible. Came through one man. And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Right there. And people, they go ballistic over this. What do you mean? I wasn't in the garden. I wasn't in the garden. Why should I be blamed for what another man did? Well, why were you ever born? It was another man's decision, not yours. And if you shoot down Adam representing you, you're going to give up the fact that Christ can represent you. So two men, two trees. So he sinned was in the world before the law of Moses was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. They were not in the garden with Adam, but they've got the same physical consequences, death. Because God said, I see the race similarly in the loins of Adam. And what he did, I'm going to impute and charge to all of his posterity. And if you don't like it, stop dying. Stop physical death. Who was a type, notice, was a type of the one who was to come. How's that? Watch this. But the free gift, Christ, is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. It only abounds for those who belong to Christ. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Adam brought condemnation, brought death. Christ brought righteousness and justification. Now, you're either in Adam or in Christ. You started in Adam. You want to get out of him as soon as you can and get into Christ. He keeps on. Let's pick up verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness Christ, obedience to the Father, the cross, 
His one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. It is for all men who come to him. Adam, it's everybody universally. This Christ justification, only those who put faith. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So what's he saying? First Adam, last Adam. Uh, one trespass, one man's sin, one man's disobedience. And it, what happened? It brought sin. It brought death. It brought judgment. It brought condemnation. And they said, but there was another man, Christ, who through the act of righteousness, obedience to the Father and going to the cross, one man's obedience has brought the free gift, brought the grace, brought justification. So he's saying, if I see you only in Adam, you're condemned. You are certainly all the race, even believers are physically dying, though Christ has forever changed that for us. But how does God view you? What is your identity? Uh, what is that? Okay. Uh, but he goes on, well, if that's the way it was, he says that in brief, he just goes on, he's getting ready to say justification happened in the past. But we need some information to know how to live in the present because he's going to start telling us how the justified ones should live in the earth. And he starts dealing with what we call in theology sanctification, holy life, the life being lived as God intended. You see, when he justified you, he did not make you personally righteous. You still had sin. He declared you righteous before the Father. But he has to do a whole lot inside of you to get you to live righteous. And that seems a living contradiction. But listen to what he says. I think he perceived they're accusing him of teaching so much grace and justification that it doesn't matter how you live. And he picks up the argument. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? This grace of justification, this grace of Christ represents me. I can live any way I want. <coughs> We're being accused of that, Paul says. You probably haven't taught enough grace until you get accused of this. So he taught enough grace to be accused. And so he goes on. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Did you know that all of you died to sin? And you're saying, man, you haven't seen the way I lived this week. You don't know the argument I had on the way to church. You don't know how to talk, anger, language, attitudes. But he, he asks you a question. Let me ask you. He does it three times. Verse 3, 6, and 9. Don't you know? Don't I know what? You died to sin 
And I think you probably want to bust out laughing. He said, well, men, someone tell my wife that. Someone tell my kids that. Because, man, I seem to stay fairly current on sin. You die to sin. Well, if you did, why are you still living in it? Why are you living in it? It doesn't make sense to go to the cemetery and see all the corpses sinning. Please just make the trip with me, would you? <laughs> I know it's a strain. So he's saying, in God's mind, you died. So you shouldn't be available to sin. Well, am I dead or am I alive? Well, you're both. And some of you look more dead than alive. <laughs> Listen to what he says. Uh, Verse 3, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Most commentators take this baptism to be water. That's the common view. Uh, but the realities that are being described were not physical. They were spiritual, positional realities. The six baptisms in the Bible, three are wet, three are dry. Baptism in fire is fairly dry. <laughs> baptism by the Spirit is dry. Uh, baptism into Moses and the cloud, 1 Corinthians 10, dry. John's baptism, wet. Christ's baptism, wet. Believers, water baptism, for sure, wet. But I think this is spirit baptism, that the moment there's faith and you become God's child, he takes and he immerses you into Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says that. And uh, there's four metaphors in Scripture about our union with Christ. One is we're a stone in the building, and we fitly join, he said. You are joined together. So union, union with Christ. We are likened to a branch and a vine. Union with his life. Union with his life. We're likened unto a wife to a husband. They have become one, the mystery. There is a union there. We are likened to the members of a body connected to a head. There is union. God can do nothing for anyone until he sees you united to his son. John Murray made a great comment. He said, union with Christ is more important and opens the door to all salvation blessings. He can't justify you till he has you in Christ. He can't do anything for you until he gets you in Christ. In Christ. Over a hundred times in the New Testament, we're said to be in Christ, in the Lord, in Jesus. We are united. We're so united that 1 Corinthians tells the immoral Corinthians, stop 
taking your body to the brothels. For when you have sex with a prostitute, you join Christ to that woman. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 18. Stop joining your body to something that Christ wants to get out of bed from. When you sin, Christ is there. When you sin, you take Christ when you are a member of his body. That was his big moral pitch. Stop using your body in a way that humiliates Christ. So, he is saying to them, don't you know that your new status before God in Christ is that you died, that you're buried with him, and the Spirit did that, and now God says he was crucified with Christ at the cross, He's been thoroughly buried. And the thing he ends on, we've been raised to newness of life. So he says, let's pick up the new life. Let's quit hanging around, as it were, to where you died. That was at the cross. That's for justification. But he raised Christ so that he might justify you. I want the justified to live like they're walking in newness of life. Newness of life. And we'll come into the rest of chapter 6. Listen to me. Listen to me. According to the book of Romans, you are no longer obligated to sin. You are no longer to be subject to the slavery of sin. God didn't give his son so you could stay in bondage. And we need to get a good revival of theology that says I can live above sin. Sin shall not reign in my body. I belong to another. I've been set free. Instead of this, well, I just can't help it. You know, God knows I'm weak. That's why he died for you, mister. That's why he gave you the Holy Spirit, mister. He gave you the help you need. Quit saying you can't overcome sin. You know, it reminds me of the, when you read the history of the Civil War and you read of the plight of the American slave, that it was one thing to win a civil war and to sign an Emancipation Proclamation. But many a black man and a black woman after the war's over didn't know what to do next. They owned no property. They'd been under white masters. They actually did not own currency. They dealt in script. They dealt with script and family. Uh, on the plantation, you had the little store and you had to buy from the master. He set the prices. And all of a sudden you say, the war's over. Lee went up to Appomattox, and he's met with Grant. It's signed, war over. All you folks are free. Amen. Wait a minute. It doesn't come that easy. Free. Free with nothing. Free with no land. Free with no job. I got this shanty that they now want to put me out of. All I know are these cotton fields. All I know is slavery. You're telling me 
I'm an American. I, I don't even know what an American citizen is. You say, you're free. Now, that's the way it is with a lot of Christians. You're free. Free what? To sin? Or to keep acting like I've always acted? No. Free to a brand new life in Jesus. The war has been fought and won at the cross and the empty tomb. He wants to teach you a new life, a new way of living. Listen to what he says. For if we've been united with him, there, verse 5, there's union. We're united with him. Now, it'd be something if you took that American slave and set him free. He said, oh, by the way, you become united to the master. He, uh, he now owns you as a son. He's sharing the estate with you. Uh, matter of fact, all of his riches are yours. But the American slave wasn't given that. He was thrown on the street. That's why he moved to Chicago and Detroit. Get away from the South. I want to change my identity. I'm tired of being seen as a slave. I want to be seen as a free man. I want to be seen as an American man. I don't want to be seen as some utensil to do another man's will. And Jesus said, Believer, I set you free to unite you to me as a wife to a husband, as a branch to a vine. You belong to me. You're in me. You're not an outside project. You're inside of me. We have become one together. We are one together. Your victories are my victories. Your defeats are my defeats. A little bit different. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, some take that as his physical resurrection. I take this to be his resurrected life. I think it's his life up there. Did you know Christ is alive right now at the right hand of the Father? And he wants me to live like I'm up there. Up there. You think I'm making that up? Colossians 3. Set your way of thinking on things above where your life is. Oh, you didn't hear me. Colossians 3, 1. Your life is up there. You're there. All right. You talk about being heavenly minded. What do you want to do? Think about April 15th to think about how rich you are in Christ. <laughs> up there. Up there. I have to be thinking, I, I'm rich. I'm in Christ. There, matter of fact, he said, you're only uh, aliens in this world. Philippians 3.20, your true citizenship, and in the Greek, your true politics are up there. There's where my, there's where my vote is, Jesus, my king. My ruler. I put up with the Caesars down here. I put up with the Putins. Come on, we got Christians in Russia. Who do they vote for? We got Christians all over this globe. How many Christians died in the first, second century by Roman pagan emperors when they had no vote? They were just food for the lions. They said, Jesus is my king. Jesus is my reason for living. Who are you? Are you a Democrat? Are you a Republican? Why are you talking such rubbish? Why don't you first of all say, I'm a follower of the Lamb. I know Jesus. He is, he's perfect. He's the perfect ruler. All other men are flawed. They're flawed. They're flawed. 
I would preach this if you weren't here, so hey, man, if you weren't. I believe this. This set me free as a young believer. Listen to verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. It means rendered inoperative. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That translation, our old self, do most of you have that, your old self? Huh? Do you even have a Bible? Anybody, what you say, old self? Well, the literal word is man. I prefer, because who is the old man? Adam. It's not your dad. You, you may go to heaven sooner than you want, if you use that language. This talk about your relation to Adam, the old man. And he's saying, stop living like the old man. You learn to think like the old man. You learn to choose like the old man. He said, hey, we've died to get out of Adam. And we died with Christ to get out. He keeps on going. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Wow. Is that beautiful? You don't get it. It's why you're not a man. You, you need to, but you got to think on this. Think it through. He said, you died. I don't believe it. You look dead, some of you. But this is in God's mind. You judicially died. You're as much dead as when we bury you physically. In God's mind, see, you either deal with sin in the past or in the future. The unsaved are going to face their sins in the future. You and I have already faced it in the past. And God says, guess what? The sin can't kill you anymore. We've already buried you. You've been buried with my son. You've been crucified. With Matter of fact, I've got to seed it in the third heaven. Can it be? Yes, you, it can be. If God says it can be, it can be. This is why I'm not following an outline. I'm following the verses. Is that okay? Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Amen. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider, the old King James was reckoned, Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What a conundrum. Am I dead or am I alive? Well, you're both. You're both. That's the confusion of living the Christian life. I'm supposed to be dead to sin. When it knocks on the door, nobody's home. When the buddies ask me to get drunk with them or do drugs or party on the... I, I'm, I've come, but I've died. <laughs> You've died. I've died. Did you hear me? I am unavailable to sin because I've already died to it. So in God's mind, he says, just tell sin, not available. Not available. And at the same time, God says, I want you to uh, go to church, sing my praises, read my word, 
you know, live out the Christian life, and I just say, you take all of me. Why not take all of me? Uh, and and you, it's like in marriage. It's like a kid. You tell the kid to empty the trash, and they immediately are weak. <laughs> and, and one of the neighborhood kids climbs, and I'll meet you at the park, or I'll shoot some hoop. Hey, man, I'm available. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Is this the same kid that's over here? <laughs> oh, we got to take him to the doctor. No, no, he's just lazy. He doesn't want to do it. Over here, I'm available to do what I want to do. And, and God says, now I want you to start reckoning this way. When sin called, just remind sin, I died. I'm unavailable. And when righteousness called, I'm available. And some of you are straddling the fence. You're trying to figure out who you're available to. And listen now, listen to what he said, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Oh, well, I, I can't help myself. Yes, you can. He said, don't you let it rain. Sin remains in you, but it's never to reign over you. We still have the sin principle. And we all know that. But it is not to reign over you like a king. Don't make you obey its passions. And he has several times he talks about passions and strong desires. You know what passions is? It's from a Greek word, pathema. We get the passion of Christ. But a literal meaning of the word passions meant moods, emotions. And it's saying, don't be governed by the emotions and the uh, passions of the flesh. Now, that's found in Colossians. It's found in Galatians 5. We've been crucified to our passions, and one's a strong desires, but the other one is our moods. You know, most sin starts with the mood. I'm in the mood for love. Well, there are days you're in certain moods. I'm in a cranky mood, and I can't stand you, no matter what you do, because I'm giving in to my moods. Uh, I mean, some days, you know you're so irritable that you might as well stay in bed, because you're just, you're, you're aggravated, you're, you're moody, you're moody. You're cranky, you're irritable, you're, you're semi-angry. Uh, just all the negative moods. And if you want to know what they are, there's about 15 of them in Galatians. Hateful mood, envious mood, jealous mood. Uh, he, he names about 15 moods. You see, if you're not right now, if you're not having love, joy, and peace, you ought to check that every morning. Do, am I experiencing love, joy, and peace? You know God wants you to go to him in prayer. Because that's the mood he wants you to live out of. Take joy. Uh, I, I just last week, it was an amazing little, kind of an epiphany thought to me. Uh, God just said to me one day, you don't seem to be enjoying me very much. 
thought, God, who do you think you are telling me? And he said, well, you don't. You, there's not too much joy. What's your problem? A am I boring you? Am I too hard to serve? Am I, is there something I need to do? What's your problem? Yeah, I, I didn't call you to hold up a church. I didn't, have, I didn't ask you to hold me up. I'm the one that holds up. I hold you up. You don't hold me up. I'll fulfill you. Do you want to find your joy and pleasure in me? Piper wrote a book called The Dangerous Duty of Delight. Some of you are all into duty and not into any delight. Delight yourself in the Lord. Is he your delight? Thank you, Charles. Do you delight in this God, or is he a burden? You see the moves. So he says, we put to death, and says, take and make your body subject to God. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This happens both as a single act and an act happens present tense. It's a command you're present. Continually be putting your body at God's disposal. Now, a lot of us remember when I dedicated my life. You'll think of a camp. You'll think of some point in your life where you made a crucial decision. God, here I am. I am at your disposal. And that's wonderful. You never forget it. You like drive a stake. But did you know what? That is a daily exercise for the rest of your life. Every day. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours. George Rutenbar used to tell me in the morning, he would grab himself like this. said, Rutenbar, you tell God you're available. I'm available to do your will. Now, some of you have never done the point in time. You might ought to do it today. What are you doing with your body? Have you ever presented? Don't present it to our junior church. Don't present it to the youth. Present it to God. This is you and God. When are you going to start saying, here are my members. Here's my body. See, you've got to replace old habits from the old man and start learning the new habits of the new man. Look at two verses. Look at uh, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. Right after Galatians. Look, he tells the believers, watch this. He tells them that they're walking in the futility of their mind. The Gentiles are. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from God's light. Then he picks up verse 20. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old man, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new man, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. 
See that he's telling these believers, you got to start acting like the new man. You're in a new family. We don't settle differences like we did in the old man. You got to handle lust in a different way in this man, Christ, than you did as the old man. You learn all these patterns of thinking, behaving, feeling. I want you to catch up to where you you've been relocated. You're seen now in Christ. That's your identity. And what goes on in the early Christian life, for sure, is you're getting rid of a lot of old stuff, and, and you're trying to put on the new, and that's where learning new ways of thinking. Look at Colossians 3. Colossians 3, similar uh, teaching. Look at what he says. Uh, oh, let's pick up um, oh, verse 6. On account of these, he's talking about impurity, passion, and all the, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Do you need to tell Christians not to lie? Do you need to tell Christians not to lie? Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I guess they can lie. <laughs> Do not stop. It's a present. Stop lying to one another. We asked you how you're doing, and you said fine, and you just told a lie. Because <laughs> you don't want anyone to think you need help. And we can look at your face and tell you need help. Stop lying. <clears throat> Pastor, that was a great sermon. What did I say? I don't know, but we sure enjoyed it. <laughs> Stop lying. Seeing that you have put off. What, what have you put off? The old self or the old man. They've got footnotes here. The literal word is put off the old man. Who is the old man? Adam. With his practices. And you put on the new man which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. It says the same thing in Galatians 3. He doesn't see your ethnicity. He doesn't see your gender. He doesn't see your economic status when he clothes you in Christ. He sees Christ. Seven things I just rehearsed for you. Got to close. Seven things that God gives you. Now, there's 130 in the New Testament, so pardon me for just taking seven. <laughs> Ephesians 1, 3 said, God blesses you with every spiritual blessing now that you are in Christ. Come on, I want you to get it. In Christ, every spiritual blessing God has is now mine. You came in here feeling whipped, defeated, poor, poor boy. You're so rich you don't you you never read the will yet. you you inherited millions of blessings. You ought to show up for the reading of the will. 
You've got all that. Two, he chose you in Christ. Some people don't like that. Too bad. God does. He said he chose his people in Christ. In Christ, he could choose you. Three, he said that he started showing grace towards you in Christ before the ages. I want you to read that up. 2 Timothy 1.9. It said before the ages, God decided he's going to love you. I think it was, uh, trying to think, it was Spurgeon who said, had God not loved you before time, he probably could have never loved you in time. <laughs> God's been loving you a long time. He can do it in Christ. Oh, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ in Christ. Galatians 3. You're not condemned in Christ. You've been made accepted to the beloved in Christ. He says, you know, you're the branch in Christ. All these wonderful things. I'm out of time, but I want to read, read the words. I, who knows? I might bless you with a few tunes. Uh, I, I got a couple of songs that I hunted down through the years, and Carol and I, we were singing around the piano last night. You know, I was I've been losing my song because I don't know all the new songs. I cracked open the books last night. I said, by George, I'm singing what I know. If you don't know all the new ones, why don't you sing the ones you do know? Don't come up and tell Bobby, I don't like your selection. <laughs> he never heard of the songs you like. Huh? Sing what you like, but sing it to the Lord. Here's one. Uh, we used to have a Dutchman in this church by the name of Tom Byama. A little Dutchman from Linden, Washington. That's a little Dutch community up there in Washington. And he used to sing this song. And the beloved accepted am I. Risen, ascended, and seated on high. Saved from all sin through his infinite grace with the redeemed ones accorded a place. Chorus, in the beloved, God's marvelous grace calls me to dwell in this wonderful place. God sees my Savior, and then he sees me. In the beloved, accepted and free. Now listen to the last stanza. In the beloved, I went to the tree, there in his person, by faith I may see, infinite wrath rolling over his head, infinite grace, for he died in my stead. In the beloved, God's marvelous grace calls me to dwell in this wonderful place I could just hear him. God sees my Savior, and then he sees me. In the beloved, accepted and free. That's enough to make a Baptist shout. But wait, I got one more song. You're not getting out that easy. 
Yes, give me, give me that. I knew Carolyn sent him up. There's a little song called, I am the righteousness of God in Christ. None of you have ever heard it. I try to get Deborah to do it, but it's in Wall's time, and God forbid that we sing anything but Wall's timing. Like wonderful, wonderful Jesus. That's Wall's. It goes this way. I am the righteousness of God in Christ, a brand new creation in him. I can now approach the presence of God with no condemnation of sin. You could shout anytime. <laughs> I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am now complete in him. I'm a partaker of his divine nature. On me he will not impute sin. No, on me he will not impute sin. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I approach the throne of grace, and no sin is hanging on me. I'm going to my high priest, and I can tell him, you bled for my sins, scrub them away. I came to adore you. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am complete in Christ. And devil and conscience and peers and critics, you can't impute them to me. They've already been paid once. I bear them no more. This is what your identity in Christ should be. Oh, what a Savior. I want to ask you, when do you think it's time for you to present your body to God? If you identify with Christ, isn't it time? I've been reading uh, Don Richardson's books, Peace Child, then he's got another one, The Lord of All the Earth. And uh, Grant Pinks and I were talking. He said, you know, Pastor, it's easy to just stay at home. There's peace in my home. It's comfortable in my home. I stay in my house all the time. And I've been reading these books, and I said, but just think, just think, Grant. There's men like Don Richardson that went to New Guinea with a wife and had his children in the bush and said, keep your lazy boys, keep your TV. I'm going to go name Christ among headhunters because I've given God my body, and I'll take it anywhere. Carolyn tells me when she was 12 years old, we used to sing, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do, say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. And surrender. I did it at a youth camp on a Thursday night. I said yes. As I heard the message on Isaiah 6. Have you ever given God your body? Young people, don't wait until you mess up and goof up and ruin your life. Say, well, I want to give God what's left over. According to Romans, you give him a living sacrifice, and you give it now. You give it now. You give it now. Have you ever, have you ever said to Jesus, here's my life. Here's what's left. And think of all the things you did when you were in the old man. Isn't it amazing how fast and hard you could go after sin? 
And I've seen so many folks, as soon as they get saved, they get tired. Something's wrong. If the demonic powers of Satan energize you here, can't the Holy Spirit energize you here? The new power is the Holy Spirit. I beg of you, you ought to write down when I pray for you, you ought to make a decision to cross the line. It would really be radical if we asked you to come forward. You'd think we're trying to have a revival. Well, you don't want me to go public. Well, all of our sins seem to be pretty public. When's our dedication going to be public? I get sick and tired of Christianity that's lived under a bushel. It's time we go public. That we go public. Amen. Open your mouth. I've been preaching. The second service. You got more energy than I do. And don't become a quiet church. It means you're a dead church or you're a hiding church. If you can't amen what I say, write me a sermon and say, you don't preach the word. And then I'm going to look you up. <laughs> and we're going to say, if it's not the word, what is it? Father, there's many people here. They come week in and week out. Precious people. But we don't know what, what they've decided to do with their body. They might have start cut, stopped cussing, but they haven't started praising. They may have stopped this sin, but have they started this righteousness? Let this justification work itself into our walk. May we be a people walking in the light, walking in love, walking in the Spirit, walking by faith. Oh, let us live out the remarkable, remarkable riches you've poured on us. The war has not only been won, but you said, I've made you an heir to heaven. I've made you an heir of all things. I'm not just going to leave you on a plantation with a few children and a bag. I've made you a son, and I'm going to share my home for all eternity with you because you're a son, no longer a slave to sin. Father, work in the lives of people. Maybe some today, what Matt and I and David and Carol, some of us to pray, and they want to come, and they want to surrender. Maybe they want to do it right there in the pew. It's up to you, Lord. But they must do it. They've got to quit being for sale. They've got to finally say, not for sale. I've been bought already. I belong to Christ. I pray. Help us to make this decision to move towards you. Yes. I'm going to wait, and I'm going to pray with you. That one, You may not even need to pray with us. You may just do it. You do it wherever you want, up front, pew, in your heart, sitting, kneeling. It doesn't matter. You must present your members as living tools of God. We bless your name, Lord. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. I am complete in him. I can approach the presence of God with no condemnation of sin. And his church said amen.